Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to the Rangers Rabble podcast. It is the international break, the dreaded international break, which I swear these could be seven, eight months apart and they come around too quickly. It's just, it feels like every other week sometimes, um, even though it's actually been quite a while. Uh, I am joined, uh, I haven't been on with these two in ages actually, Wilf and William. Wilf, how are we doing? Yeah, I'm fine, Stu. Yeah, fine. Thanks, mate. Awesome. And Mr. Rangers Youth Updates himself. William, how you doing? I all good, mate. Just enjoying the peace and quiet. <laughs> all good. Welcome to everyone in the chat. Um, please like, subscribe, all the usual. Uh, you all know the, the gist of it by now. Hopefully we can uh, keep you entertained on the, the start of the international break. I can already see a couple of people moaning about the break itself um this will be the last episode on youtube until next friday friday 31st i think it is william yeah um just because it's obviously international break and, and there's not much to talk about there's also you know there's there's content on patreon and there'll be more content being released on patreon so if you're not over there already please go over and check it out um i think martin has put a youtube video out just doing um the last sort of questions that people might have about patreon so go check that out if you do have any questions um, about that straight into it then we, we do have a little bit to talk about tonight because you know it is the first day really first second day of the international break so we still have the remnants of, of the weekend gone um raskin obviously there's there's the far talk there's you know there's there's bits and pieces we we, we can hopefully uh stitch together and, and make a podcast out of it um so i, I guess we'll we'll talk rangers first because i feel like the var could, could go on a while well, um, you know, we, we knew Raskin was going to be missing the Motherwell game. It, it seemed to be uh, a precaution of a, a little quad issue he may have picked up during the Wraith win. But he, you know, the understanding was that he was going to miss the game, but he was going to go away with the Belgian under-21s. Everything was all good. But it has come out today that he is, in fact, missing those two games for the Belgian under-21s with a small injury, is what he called it. And he hopes to be back soon. Um, you were pretty optimistic, I thought, in, in the chat about this. I think a couple of us were, were worried about a small injury and, and back soon with, with the way Rangers speak sometimes. Are, are you expecting this just to be, you know, first day back in the national break, he's, he's going to be back in? Or, or are you sort of, you may be seeing the other side that it could be something a bit more serious? No, I think... I don't think... I mean, the club have said it's, it's nothing serious. He said he's, it's a lot injury. I think the rules changed a couple of years ago, I think, that if you've only got kind of, if it's not, if your leg's not hanging off and you're called up for the internationals, you have to go and the international doctor has to say, right, okay, you're injured. You know, rather than, because players were just pulling out saying, well, I've got I've got this, I've got that. 
and they clearly weren't injured. They just couldn't be asked travelling, you know. So I think, and he probably did want to play in the game. And obviously, I'm assuming the Belgian doctors have looked at him and went, nah, best not to risk that. So I think we've got to take them at the word that it is only a little a little thing. I mean, okay, we heard that about Tom Lawrence eight months ago when we've still not seen him. Um, but I mean, my thinking with the, with the asking thing is if, if it is more than just a little injury and he's not very close to 100% for the Dundee United game a week on Saturday, I wouldn't even risk him in that. I mean, okay, Rangers Twitter would go into absolute meltdown if he misses it. But I would much rather have him fit for the game the following weekend mm. uh, across the city than risk him for... You know, they put him in because let's be honest, right? If we can't beat Dundee United and that Dundee United team without Raskin, we've got bigger problems than we than we realise. Yes, yes, very, very true. Um, I have shaved my head since then, but it has sort of grown back again, and I'm just too lazy. I, I'm just not keeping on top of it. Um, I even need to fork out for the transplant or tattoo it or something. But either way, I can't keep shaving it because it looks awful. Um, so I mean, just just on Raskin, then I think I think it doesn't help when I say it doesn't help. It obviously helps overall, but when when the fans have taken to Raskin so quickly, he's obviously come in and and he's made a sort of blistering start. He looks every bit a star in the making. I think that's that's always the worry, isn't it, for us? It's you know we had Lawrence and everyone was really excited about Lawrence and and something that not innocuous, but something that seems it would take two months, three months maybe, and. And we still haven't seen Lawrence. We're not going to see him now until to the end of and um, to the start of the new season. So there's, I, I could see maybe where the fear comes of Raskin, and and it might just all be coincidence that our medical team seem to keep getting these guys that are picking up little knocks. And it could just be completely like a little knock, but it's that sort of fear, isn't it, that everyone has? I think that you know we, we've we've had so many injuries this season, and whether some can be apportioned to you know, a, a more technical pre-season, as, as they put it, as opposed to the fitness-based ones, and, and players are still learning their way. You know, we, we do have to remember that Raskin had a couple of months of no football when, when he was sort of frozen out of Standard Liège's team. So, you know, I'm, I'm trying to talk myself into it being nothing. I'm just, I think I'm a little fearful um, with, with Rangers and, and, and the luck we've had. And I don't know if it is the medical department's fault at times or if, if it is just pure bad luck, but... I think we all just want Raskin back and, and fit and, and you know, we want him to be the star of the show in a couple of weeks' time. Yeah, of course. Look, it's one of those things when you're a footballer, you pick up injuries. It's just the nature of the game, unfortunately. You know, you're looking at some of the other players that's had to pull out of international duty just in the last 24, 48 hours. You know, it's just one of these unfortunate things. For Nico, I think it's just because he's became such a mainstay of the team so quickly um, and his importance to the team is massive already. Um, it was obviously disappointing to not have him play against Mullerwell, but at the end of the day, when you see the amount of options we still have in there, um, you look at the performance of Todd Cantwell, you know, you didn't really miss him all that much. Obviously, you would much rather have him on the pitch than mm. not, but, you know, we still had a really good performance. We still won pretty comfortably in the end, but I'm the same as Wolf. I mean, see, even if he's still struggling 5-10%, ahead of the Dundee United game, you just rest him up for the following game. You know, it's yeah. it's not been disrespectful to Dundee United. It's quite simply just that, you know, the game after that's just a far more important game than what that one is. And, you know, if we can't go out with maybe one or two guys who maybe aren't available to play, then, you know, we're not going to win league titles. We're not going to win the League Cup, the Scottish Cup, etc. We've got to have a, have a depth of talent in the squad. But, Obviously, you do want your best players available, but in situations like that, if it is something that's, you know, that could come back and maybe reoccur ahead of the Celtic game, then we don't really want that happening. So it's always yeah. best to take precautions with these things. And I think, that, well, I take it that's the first time he's been back in Belgium as well since he flew to Scotland. So maybe he's, he's had a chance to deal with one or two personal things over there as well while he's there ahead of coming back to Scotland, maybe at some point next week. Yeah. Yep, sure. Uh, CGM saying this sort of out Raskin, but people pronounce it Raskan. Um, I've heard a few people say Raskan. Um, as far as I know, it's Raskin. Um, you know, I think we can all just, as long as it's not as bad as, as Ian Crocker calling it Morelos, then then I'm I'm pretty happy all around. Um, so just, I mean, just on that, then. We'll I, I, I actually, sorry, Stu, I actually missed a trick on Thursday. I should have asked him on Thursday when I met him. I was lucky enough to meet oh, him at the Foundation recently. I should have, I should have asked him how you pronounce his name, but I was just 
don't, it was the last, I didn't even enter my head, but really I should, because it seems to be the commentators that are calling them Raskan, so I don't know whether mm. they've yeah. asked them and they've said that's what it should be, although it's spelt Raskan. I can't understand why it would be because of the way it's spelt, but it might be. It probably should have asked him, to be honest, but I just didn't. Could have asked Tillman when he signed it as well with, couldn't you, eh? He missed a couple of tricks there. I did, I did ask him, but it's embargoed, so... <laughs> um, I mean, on Raskin as well, Will, just the sort of final point then, it's, like like you saying, like, like William saying there, the, the bigger game on the 8th of April, we, we really want a full team, or as, as close to a full team as we can get right now, because it, it feels like the gap has shortened a little. Um, there's obviously things we've still got to work out. There's There's improvements there's still a bit of surgery that's going to be made and, and, and I think sometimes we forget that Bill although Bill was here before he has he's only had one window and even then he's still figuring out his team so I think overall if you, if you look at our record it's it's actually pretty phenomenal from, from where we were to, to where we are under Bill and just in terms of pure wins and and I know some people try to compare us and say like before they wouldn't have dropped points here, they wouldn't have dropped points here. But when, when you look at some of their results lately, they're conceding a couple of first goals, they're going level a bit, they're having to fight back a lot. So it's I'm not I'm not gonna say I think the title's back on or anything like that because I don't I don't I think it is too late for that. But you know, as as we get more into the tail end of the season, it does feel like they've slowed down a little bit in terms of you know, well, maybe they're losing the fear factor a little. I don't know. Teams seem to be able to have a little go at them now, and and on the on the flip side, it, I think we're showing a bit more of a mental edge in terms. Of, you know, well, we have to because we keep conceding first. It's like twenty three or twenty four times in the past year we we conceded first. So it's there's also an excitement building up towards that eighth of April to see, especially away from home. There's obviously going to be no fans, which is disappointing, but it's it's quite exciting to now see where we're going to be in terms of Bill having these for quite a prolonged period of time. The new January signings are bedded in. Hopefully, obviously, both are going to be playing um, Tillman and, and Raskin with the rest of the team. It's just sort of, you know, I don't know, I'm, I'll be nervous up in the week of it, but right now, I'm like, really excited to see, not the gap, but you know what I mean, like the, how close we are to them right now. I don't think the gap's as big as some people are trying to make it out to be. I mean, Bill... Uh, Michael Beale's been in charge of a team against them in two games. We should have beat them at Ibrox. We were two minutes away yeah. from beating them, and we didn't. And then at the, in the League Cup final, we didn't. We didn't turn up, and he's admitted that he got it wrong. And even then, they were better than us, but they didn't beat us by a lot. Um, so, but we have to. I mean, we'll have to go across the city on the eighth and put a marker down. I mean, we have. We have to. First of all, we have to not get beat. Whatever happens, we have to not get beat because going there to win. It's never easy. And obviously, we always want Rangers to win. And to have any chance of clawing anything back, we really have to beat them and put a bit of pressure on them. Because we don't know how this Celtic team will, you know, will fare with any kind of pressure put on them because they haven't had any put on them. We, blink, we blinked first early in the season when Van Bronckers was still the manager and they haven't looked back since. We dropped points at Hibs in that, in that game when Lundstrom got his jotters and the shooter and then Morella spat the dummy out. And they just, they just steamed on from that. I mean, I... I actually feel a bit for, for Michael Beale because he's come in and his league his league record has been almost impeccable apart from that yeah. apart from that draw I was with him. And in any other season he would have eaten into the nine point gap. Mm. But they're just rolling people over. I mean that the, the form they're in is is more than freakish because you know even teams that even teams in any league that are absolutely flying drop points somewhere they drop so you know they drop, they drop silly points in games they just can't score in against the most unexpected team, against the team at the bottom of the league. It happens all over the place. They yeah. just haven't. And it's just something that, in a normal, with the form that we're in at the moment, we would have clawed some of that main points. I'm not saying we'd have gone on to win the league because, like you, I think it's probably too far gone. Although, don't give up on it until we can catch them. But it's we have to set a marker down on the 8th because... It's all very well saying, okay, we didn't finish any further away from them. And we could go to the Scottish Cup, beating them in extra time or beating them in penalties. To me, okay, we'll beat them, but you want to beat them in 90 minutes. We'll have to beat them in 90 minutes at some point. And we have to do it before the end of this season because if we beat them on, say we beat them in extra time or in penalties in the semi-final, go on to win the Scottish Cup, still finish nine points behind them, they'll be sitting there in the summer saying, well, they didn't really claw anything back on us. They beat us in a penalty shootout or whatever it was. You know, they haven't beat us in 90 minutes in two years. 
They're miles behind us in the league. Wouldn't give them anything to think about. We have to beat them over in 90 minutes, preferably three times between now and the end of the season, and give them something to think about. Yeah, no, I think that's actually, unless I don't want to turn it into an old fan podcast, it's, it's just sort of like touching it before we go on to the, the main talk point. But it's, it's a good point I think he raises, Willie, because, you know, I never really thought about it like that. I just want us to go and win, obviously. But, you know, actually giving them something, even if we don't win the league, even if it finishes three points or one point, it, it doesn't matter in, in terms of the next season. It does matter. We want to win it. But it doesn't matter in terms of next season because we, we need them... Like we've said, we need to give them something to think about going into next season. If if they see that, you know, we got this new manager in and, and we were written off because, you know, we, we weren't playing fantastically well and we had that poor Champions League campaign, but then we get a new manager in and, you know, we go on an almost 100% winning run under, under him. We, we turn them over whether that's at their place or in the Scottish Cup or preferably both. It's, I've said it before, even in January, everything now has to be with one eye on next season as well. Yeah, look, everything in football can turn really quickly. I mean, I remember when Stephen Gerrard came in and, you know, Brendan Rodgers was running riot with that Celtic team. You know, I mean, so like the one nothing victory at Ibrox changed everything. It was like a mental shift just in that one game. That one victory at Ibrox changed a lot of people's minds on how possible it was to win because we'd went so long without winning. And then, like, you look at, you know, the season we won the league, some of our performances that season, like Celtic just didn't know how to cope with us. And that's and like it's amazing in football how how quickly things can turn. As well says it only takes one victory, especially in the league games. And it's amazing how quickly things can turn, especially in these type of games. I look at our squad, look at their squad. I don't see a huge amount of quality difference in all honesty. Mm. I think the difference has been is that Celtic have been like pretty much unbelievable. It's like 27 victories out of 29 in the league. I mean, that's mm-hmm. unheard of even during like Walter Smith's time, to be honest with you, and things like that. So it has been a freaky season. And I know speaking to you know, the guys that support other teams this season, a lot of people just think that the standard of Scottish football's dropped a wee bit. Yeah. I think that's that's an unfortunate problem. Because at the end of the day, it's not a good look when even like Hearts that are in third are so far behind the two teams. And you look at like Hearts at the weekend, they're going... I think they were like three nothing down after twenty five minutes. So it shows you how how inconsistent Hearts are, and they've went from having like a 10, 12 point lead. I think it is down to four, and whereas like Celtic just haven't looked like like dropping points really, and that's been the biggest problem for Michael Beale. I agree with Wolf. I think I think the manager overall's done an unbelievable job. Mm-hmm. You know when he walked in the door, if somebody had said you were going to win pretty much every single game up until the end of March, you would have probably said, no, <laughs> I don't see that happening. Because like, we just didn't look like a team that could that could string together three, four, five, six victories. We just didn't look like that kind of team. We looked like we were always going to drop points. We had a bit of naivety about us. Whereas this team has shown quite a bit of character in more than one occasion since he's come in. Um, and as well, say, look, the game at Ibrox, if you win that game, does it shift the mentality? It possibly does. But then, you know, you don't turn up in the cup game. We basically didn't show up in the cup game. Yeah. And I think, you know, most people that were at that game that day, sitting on the bus or making their way there in the car, I don't think too many could believe the start in the loving. Yeah. Since then, the managers admitted they got it wrong, which, look, that can happen in any game at any football game in the world. But it just makes it worse because it's a big game against Celtic and mistakes are punished and that's exactly what happened. So for Michael Beale, the next big thing is to obviously beat Dundee United and then go to Parkhead and try and put on a big performance in front of basically a whole whole home support. And that's why I took in the Firenord Ajax game at the weekend there. And it's interesting, you know, it was like when Firenord scored, there was just like no noise. It was just like, yeah, the only thing you could hear was the players celebrating. It was strange, very strange. But the fact they went there and won, mm. you think that we're more than good enough to go and do it, even with a full capacity parkhead, like sort of basically turning on our players. I mean, like, I don't know if I'm one of our players, I'm looking forward to that. I want to go there and win and silence them. Do you know what I mean? Because that's got to be the mentality. That's what Fire did when they went to Ajax, and that's what we've got to do when we go to parkhead in a couple of weeks' time. 
Yeah, 100%. Can't argue with any of that. Um, on to the sort of then main talking point, I think, from the weekend that's, that's rumbled on into today. Um, it all seems to be based around VAR. Now, no one seems happy with VAR, but usually it's, it's for the same reason they're not happy with the refs, because a decision has gone against them and they've lost the game and, and usually they want an excuse as to why they've lost the game. They, they believe that since VAR was introduced in Scottish football, um, refs got... And, and like, listen, you, you guys have to make your own minds up here. But apparently pre-VAR, refs got 92% of decisions correct. Um, and post-VAR, they now get 98% of decisions correct, you know, based on obviously VAR overturning stuff and, and telling them what needs to happen. There's obviously a 2% margin with that that, that is still wrong for, for whatever reason. And teams can still be on the, the wrong end of that. What I find quite interesting is I've always seen the complaints about the ref. It's, you know, we've complained about the refs, Celtic complained about the refs, teams always moan about the refs. Um, but it seems today, Wilf, that Dundee United, I mean, we're going to touch on the Motherwell decisions and, and some of Kettlewell's um, sound bites from, from the weekend that were a bit strange. But Dundee United apparently are seeking an urgent meeting with all Scottish Premiership clubs, the Scottish FA and the referees' representatives to discuss VAR. Um, I mean, see, just quickly, Stu. See, just quickly. I mean, obviously, Wolf was obviously at the game at the weekend. I watched it from the house. I don't think the way that it's shown on the television is particularly good. And I think yeah. that's what really causes a lot of problems for people that are watching from home. I mean, mm-hmm. Wolf's at the game, so he's judging what he sees on the pitch, just like most of you would do it in a way game. See, on the television, everything that they show, to me, it just doesn't look great. Whether that's because we've got the cheapest VAR that you can possibly have, maybe that's why it looks What's bad. Me, it just doesn't look good. You yeah. know, because obviously, for instance, at the weekend there, everybody's looking at the cut of the pitch, right? No, the cut of the pitch doesn't have to be exactly perfect on every single pitch. So when people are looking at the run, my first impression when the ball was played was that the guy was offside, right? Yeah. And then when it showed you on VAR, Mentally, in your mind, what's the first thing you do? You look at the cut of the pitch, don't yeah. you? So straight away, you're like, oh, that guy's offside, great. It's still 0-0 after three minutes. And then, whatever that was, like 30 seconds later, the goal was given. And you're going, right, I don't understand that, because I'm looking at the cut of the grass, and I'm looking at this line, and I'm looking at one of their players that was offside, but the guy who was obviously making the run, they've deemed to be onside. And I just think they could do it more. I think they could explain it more. I just think it's Scottish football at its best, going for basically the cheapest option possible. And I just thought it was really poorly shown at the weekend yet again. Yeah, I think, you know, just just before we bring you in there, I think, uh, William, you're bang on there because it's it's sort of a little bit what I'm going to touch on. The the way I know it is, um, first goal, the first goal was also when the ball. It looked it, right? But again, I think this is is the cut of the grass. Everyone goes by the cut of the grass. And I've seen people, even before that, bring up pictures, still images, and say, he's offside, look at the cut of the grass. Um, the, the, the two things to take into account is one, the cameras are never perfectly like when you look at a camera from from this side of the pitch to that side of the pitch, it skews your view of, of how the pitch looks. It, it's not a bang on line. Um, and two, as far as I know, VAR calibrates, all the cameras are calibrated together. It creates a digital image of the pitch, of everything. It takes the camber of the pitch into consideration and it makes its decision based on that. It doesn't make it, it the picture they show us is not the bang on picture that they're, they're not drawing those lines on there and going, oh, well, we're going to go with that. It's it's made way before that anyway. Um, and then they obviously they bring out the pixel lines or, or whatever it is. So, I mean, well, do you just think we need a bit more clarity? Do you think it's, we need to upgrade the bar? I don't, I don't know. Like, I think Alexander is just about to hit the nail on the head. They have about eight different angles in Scotland, have about four. And obviously this comes into what we can afford in Scotland, I think, because we can't afford the max VAR, which obviously does allow for a lot more angles. Um, in, you know, sometimes in Scotland, it will happen very rarely, but they will have to, you know, ignore a decision because one of the players is blocking the camera or something like that. Whereas in England, that doesn't happen because they have multiple angles. So do you just think that maybe a bit more clarity, a bit more, I mean, we, we use this word a lot, and we probably never get it. But a bit more transparency from from the SFA, the, the you know the referees, whatever it is, just to explain VAR a bit better to us. 
Yeah, but before they do that, I mean, they need to they need to get in a that's actually fit for purpose. I mean, yeah. if I remember rightly, when we brought in the Scottish Scottish Premiership grounds, have got six VAR cameras. Right, mm. English grounds have got thirty six. That's the point you were making, right? That's the difference, right? The difference is they can't cover all the angles because it's on the cheapest the Aldi version of VAR. You know, it really is. It's just it's it, it's terrible. They can't get the right angles. So we have to trust what they go with, but it's not it's not the VAR, it's the people that are implementing, it's the people that are looking at it. I mean, some yeah. of those decisions at the weekend were an absolute joke. I mean, I don't normally watch sports teams, but because of the um the controversy, I gave it a look a watch on Saturday night. And I can understand Indian United's frustration because that's the Martin penalty it was never a penalty in a million years, but VAR said it was. And the one that Commandlick didn't get when Andrew Constantine clearly had his hand above his head and punched the ball away was a penalty all day, all day, every day. You know what I mean? And again, referee, for whatever reason, always looking straight at it by the camera angle I saw it from, didn't give it. Same as the penalty, the penalty we got against Hibs. VAR gave us a penalty against Hibs when Ryan Kent got to stand the leg taken off him. The referee's looking straight at it from five yards away. Didn't give it because he knew VAR would save him rather than get yeah. it wrong. He knew that VAR would save him. They have to make a decision, you know, But and a lot of the decisions they're making, they're getting wrong for whatever reason. And the, the comment I put up there just a couple of minutes ago is a question I had for tonight. Has the offside rule changed and we don't know about it? Because when the ball got played out to the guy on the wing on Saturday, on Saturday in, the, in the second or third minute, whether he was onside or offside is contentious. Van Veen's a mile offside. And then the guy yes. runs forward, crosses it in, and Van Veen scores. So to me, he's offside in the same movement. But there was yeah. a goal in England yesterday. I think it might have been the Man United game, but I watched a lot of football yesterday. I can't remember exactly. But there was a goal in England yesterday where the same thing happened. The ball went wide to a guy who was onside. And the guy that eventually put it in was offside at the time the ball got played across them. So yeah. the law must have changed. But I wasn't aware of it. I mean, I think it's just... see what I was just trying to say quickly on the Van V money spot on, Wolf, because like you can't argue that. See, at the end of the day, like he's gaining the advantage of being offside at the first instance. So like it means that our defence can never really get back in and cover him properly because he's always ahead of the play until that ball gets played in. This is what I find is strange about that. See, for me, as long as Van Veen is making some type of play at the ball, which he does about two seconds later once that guy touches the ball, he should still be offside. But they're going on now about this, whatever it is, first phase. And to me, it's like, how does a defender get back in and cover that? I think it's almost impossible yeah. for a defender to get back and cover Van Veen in that instance. So see to me, like the offside rule's been changed to a point now where it's almost impossible to play offside as a defender. It's getting close to that point. I mean, like we played such a high line there. I had no problem with us playing that high line. Because you don't really expect Van Veen to get beyond you. So if we put our hand up at that point and the guy doesn't make the run down the other side, it's clearly offside. So I don't really get the whole first phase, second thing. Like I think somebody needs to come out and explain fully why somebody who is an offside position at the first phase can then score and he's not involved in the play. I just can't, you know, that doesn't make any sense to me when a guy's getting that advantage ahead of an opposition team who are trying to do the right thing by playing him offside. But what, yeah, but what is the first phase? What is the first phase and what's the second phase? Because to me, that's the same move. That's it. Because the ball, the ball went wide to the guy. He he ran forward. He crossed it in, and the guy that was offside at start, when the ball came across put it in. To me, that's not a second phase. That's the same move. I know. Well, I believe I mean, that, I that once once the, the ball's played through and the guy then takes it on. Once he's taken the touches, he's running yeah. on. That's the first phase ended because the phase has gone to him. He's now moving with the ball. The second phase is, is where it's going to go next. However, I've never actually even considered the point you just raised earlier really, that. Van Veen is miles off in that. I always think about this, obviously, the second phase he's onside. But you're right, like, it, it, a defence, and it's not, like, not just us, any, any defence, you know, he, he could, someone just said the striker could stand there and, and chat to the goalie. He could. Not, if, he, if you have a fast guy on the wing, he could just, and he springs that offside trap, then, then how are you supposed to catch that striker? Um, it's bang on. And I think there was something similar in, in not similar, but in England as well. I don't know if you saw that one a few weeks back where um, Liverpool put the ball into the box, Salah's miles offside, 
the Wolves defender, the ball's going over his head. He sees Salah behind him. He doesn't know he's offside. He's, you know, he, he thinks he's offside. He has to play it. So he jumps up and it like skims off his head or comes off his foot, wherever it does, lands at Salah's feet. He puts it in and apparently that that's fine. That's a goal because the Wolves defender technically intercepted it, which he wouldn't do if Salah wasn't interfering with play. So it's, I think, right, I think it's... No, and that's the problem. You're pointing out the biggest problem there is that defenders now need to make a decision when they shouldn't have to. Like that guy in, I don't know, the previous 20 seasons, apart from the last two, whenever it was, they roughly kind of changed this. That would have been offside every single time and there wouldn't even have been a debate about it. But see now after matches, they debate these decisions, which is ludicrous because the guy's offside. So this is the problem that I've got with it. And until until people will actually look at like the problems that are there, it's not going to improve VAR. It's not going to improve the officials. See, to me, the officials have been asked to do too much now in some ways. See how like the linesman is waiting and waiting and waiting to give offside. See, one of these days, somebody's going to get a broken leg or they're going to get a really bad injury and it's going to come off the back of that because the flag should go up instantly. See if you think it's offside. I get the fact they're supposed to let it run because if the guy ends up scoring, then VAR can give it as a goal. But then that's silly because if you think it's offside and you've stopped and the guy goes and scores, I don't really see how that can be a benefit either. I just think there's they've complicated what was a pretty simple thing. And I think they've just yeah. made it they've made it more awkward for officials, they've made it more awkward for everybody watching the games. But you see before, see if you were a step behind the defenders, you were offside. Like that was the yeah. end of the debate. There wasn't anything else to talk about. Whereas now I think what they're trying to do is say, oh, let's give more more kind of like sort of credence for the attacking play. You know, let's have more goals, let's have this, let's have that. But then how do you defend that? I think it's impossible now to defend when you look at how the like the system's set up now. It's so, so difficult for a defender. I actually feel sorry for defenders now. I don't know how how you stop what's been happening in the last six, twelve months. Yeah, and I think I mean this this is another point. The point of offside is to stop goal hangers, it's to stop gaining an, an advantage by standing behind the defence and scoring goals. And, and this is, I mean, another one we're getting into sort of, I guess, the um, the intricacies of, of offside and, and I, guess, I guess it's more of a wish list than anything. But I see people, whenever they argue about offside, it's like there's, there's no argument. You're either offside or you aren't offside. Whether you're by a millimetre or a metre, you're offside. However... I don't feel like that's what the rule's there for. I don't feel the rule is there. Like, if, if a guy, if you have to zoom in on the pitch with these pixels and, and pinpoint that his little toe is off, so like, what advantage is he gaining by his little toe being in that position? Because it doesn't change where his body would be. His body would still be in that same position. I feel like you only gain advantage by making a move before the rest of the defence and, and, and or like Van Veen when you're behind the defence. So, you know, this is something that does bother me. And I think as a whole, like we keep changing the handball rule, but I would love for the offside, whether it's, uh, I know they were talking about when VAR come in, having this um, sort of this, this middle ground line where you could be within that line and you'd still be on the side, even if it's because these cameras, as good as they are, they can't pick up the movement of a body. They, you know, they don't have enough frames per second to pick up the way the body moves. So there is a chance that even if it looks offside, technically it's onside because the camera didn't catch the, the ball leaving the foot at the right time, blah, blah, blah. Um, but yeah, I'd, I would love that to, to be looked into. But we'll just just going on to the sort of VAR decisions then and, and the, you know, this 2% incorrect side of things. It seemed to be the weekend all 2% um, could have been argued there were, there were plenty of decisions up and down the country. You've already mentioned the penalty, the handball. Um, I, f- I found, I want to go on to some yellow cards and stuff, but I found Kettlewell's uh, comments a bit strange that he wanted them, the, the decisions questioned that Rangers are offside goal, the Sakala one, basically, which I thought was so tight. I don't think you could really make a decision either way anyway. Um, I thought it certainly looked tighter than the Motherwell's one. I thought Motherwell's one looked far more offside than, than Scala's. I also think that their goal could have potentially been ruled out for, for handball. It's I just found that really strange comments that almost arguing that, that, that we got the advantage of, of VAR when I think it was, you know, I don't think either side really gained the advantage, or both sides maybe gained the advantage of VAR either way. Well, that's the difference in how the managers speak. 
I mean, Michael Beale came out at the end of the game and said, look, they were both tight. Their, their goal and our goal were both tight. If they'd both been ruled off offside, we couldn't really complain about it. We possibly both got away with it. He's looking at it. He's mentioning ours and theirs, whereas Kettlewell's not even mentioning the fact they got, they possibly got away with one in the third minute of the game. You know, that that's the difference. I mean, you can't really go by what the press are saying because they're just, they're just grabbing sound bites. And they're looking for headlines, and you know they say this. But from what I've heard, seen of the, the Kettlewell thing, he didn't he didn't mention the fact that they got away with one. Mm. You know what I mean? I mean, it's like it's like the, the controversy we say about their their guy getting the guy off. Now, I think what he did probably just about merited a yellow card. Although Cantwell milked it, and he needs to stop that because he doesn't want a reputation for that in Scotland. Because he went down. I mean, he went down like a cheap hooker. You know what I mean? He really did. But if you're on a yellow card, you can't swing your arm like that because you'll get because you'll get because you'll get sent off. Now, if that had been his first booking, if he hadn't previously been booked, nobody would have batted an eyelid that he got a yellow card for that. So to me, it was a second yellow card. But where VAR falls down, the referee should be allowed to have a look at that because they can't look at bookings. But if it means it's a second yellow and the guy's getting sent off, they have to do this right. You know what I mean? That's the only incident that, that happened without. Us on Saturday, but to me, if they can, if they can check red cards, straight red cards, surely they can check second yellows. I mean, Slatty could have gone for his for his first yellow card. Had that been in the box, he would probably have been sent off because they would have checked him for a penalty and went get him off. That was a horrendous tackle because it was just outside and the referee gave him a yellow card. There's nothing VAR can do about that. That's where the inconsistencies fall down on it for me. But I mean, I mean, Kettlewell's like every other manager in Scotland. They only mention the things that. They think yeah. they're hard done. They're hard done to with. They don't mention the fact that well, we possibly got away with one. You know, I mean, Michael Beale came out, you know, and said, you know, look, I'm not sure, but VAR checked it and said it was. So we need to go with that. You know, I mean, whereas several other managers are saying, well, VAR and stuff wrong. You know, Michael Beale's pushing the narrative of VAR's there to help us. We need to go with the decision that they come to. Whereas other managers are saying, oh, VAR's a lot of shit. We've now got Ali McGoy yeah. coming out saying if I never see VAR again, we could do without that. We could really do without that because that'll put that'll put more weight behind, particularly Celtic saying get rid of this. It's not working. Now, the reason of it is because they were getting marginal decisions before. They're not getting them now, and we all knew that was going to happen. You know what I mean? They're, 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 yeah. I mean, again, go back, go back to the second yellow card thing, leading, leading a red card. The guy that got sent off for Hibs on early early doors on on Saturday against Celtic, he got fouled. Yeah. In the lead up to his second jail. So they should be able to review that because it's a if he'd only got a first yellow card for that, that's fine. He's got on with it. He got a book and the referee got it wrong. But if it's if it's going to make a material change to the game, which it is when they get when the team's going down to ten men, then no, surely surely they should be able to come in and say, right, we need to change this. If it's going to result in a red card we need to see, or you're going to get to the stage where referees are going to, I'm not sure, and give the guy a straight red so it'll get looked at. And they'll yeah. say, well, how serious was that? Right, I'll just scrub that off. That's that's the way I can see it going. That rather than giving them a second yellow, they'll give them a straight red so they can review it. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I mean, you're making all my points there. Wilf, I wanted to touch on all those yellow cards. He's done it all in one for me. Um, Caroline saying, Rich Foster comments, you're welcome. Team if, he, if you didn't see this, um, he basically said, uh, even if Tyson Fury punched on Todd Cantwell, he wouldn't go down like that. So he's, he's just saying Todd Cantwell dived for the, for the second yellow. Uh, what did you make of the, the second yellow? I mean, I thought it was. Sorry, sorry, Stu. Is this, is, is this the same? Is this is this the same Richard Foster that's employed by Motherwell Football Club? That's it is, yeah. Not not a not a uh, funny you know, that eh? conflict conflict funny of interest that. or anything on being on the sports scene, yeah. but it's fine. It's fine. Um, but yeah, what, what did you make of the, the second yard itself? Then, then, well, I mean, I, I thought it was a tad harsh, but I, you know, people in the comments say it, we were saying it, you, you can't raise your arms. I think Campbell does go down easy. Um, you can't raise your arms. But then I feel like the first slattery challenge was all, almost not a red, but maybe slightly more than a yellow itself. Yeah, look, the first tackle was a poor tackle. Mm. You know, it's probably one of those ones that a while ago they were talking about like an orange card, weren't they? Yeah. Which is between like, the yellow and the red, because it was naughty. You know, like he's late, he's high, it's a bit reckless, he's a bit out of control. See on the television when you first seen it, I thought it looked bad. 
right? Because see, like your first, your first instinct is, or that's a second yellow card. He's going to go. It's only once you slow it down and you see that it kind of hits him in the neck. See, at the end of the day, it only two people know how bad that was, right? Slattery, when he swings his arm, he must know how much contact he's made. And Campbell, obviously, he's the one that knows how you know hard or soft it was when it hit him. So those two are the only two that can really judge that. It's okay for other guys on sports scene to make these comments or whatever. But to me, like, see, to me, he should know better. Like, it's even you're still working at a football club in the top flight in Scotland and you're making that kind of comment. I think that's poor from him. You know, because I would be disappointed if we had a member of staff yeah. on sports scene making a comment about an opposition player like that. So to me, like, I would imagine Ringers probably aren't best impressed with the comments that's been made there. And maybe something more will come of that on, you know, the next week or two. Because me, I don't think that, that people that are employed by Mullerwell should be coming out making comments like that on sports scene. That's just my personal opinion. I get the fact he's a paid pundit and he's obviously done it previously. But maybe when your team's playing or the team that you're employed by is playing, maybe you shouldn't be on that show anymore. Because I think it's it's dangerous to start making accusations like that when you don't actually know, you know, the intent and the foul or anything that came from it. If you don't know if there was previous, maybe there's been stuff happened on the pitch between those two, and that's what's came of it. But the problem being, and we'll spot on as well. See if the referee thinks that's a really bad, like sort of throw of the arm, right? And he red cards him. Then like VAR would look at that and potentially overturn it. But then the worst that would happen is he would probably get a second yellow and he would still yeah. be off the anyway. So the problem you've got with the system at the moment is it's very it's very like patchwork because there's only so many things that it looks at. But then like, I don't want the game to be spoiled where they look at every free kick, every corner and everything that happens. So in some ways the referees still have an allowance in terms of what they can give and what they can't without VAR stepping in. I mean, I thought the, like, when you looked at it on the television from Mugabe's goal, the second goal, that looked like a handball straight away. Yeah. And yet, like, for some reason, nobody really spoke about it. It just kind of disappeared. And yet, I was always under the impression that if it hit the arm before the ball ends up in the back of the net, then the goal should be ruled out because that was the rule that was set in place. So it's confusing. And I think Wolf brought up the one of yourself you know, the Kilmarnock St. Johnston one. I mean, that's as clear a handball as you'll see in the history of football. I mean, the guys <laughs> must have went like that to actually to slap the ball almost and get... So I don't know... I mean, I don't know what the rules are now when it comes to handballs. I don't know how how each incident is looked at and is deemed to be different from one that you could watch two days earlier and that's been given. And I think this is why now a lot of people are asking for... I know not every ground has these screens, especially in Scotland. We understand that not every club has that. But something could be announced over the tannoy as to why it's been given. Yeah. Or maybe the referee could have a wee... Exactly, I was about to bring this up. A bit like the yeah. rugby or something. Yeah, because being also, um, I watch a lot of American sports. So the NFL, when a penalty is given, you know, the ref goes out in the middle of the pitch and explains the decision. I'm not wanting, look, I'm not wanting it to become silly, right? But mm. the big decisions... I don't think it's asking that much to just explain the reasoning behind the decision being made, especially if it's a penalty or it's a red card. I think those are two pretty big decisions in any football match. So see if there's a bit of kind of 50-50 on some of the decisions. Explain why it's been given. Yeah. Because not everybody think... in the stadium can see the screen. Not everybody gets to see the replay. Like yeah. at home, we see the replays. Whereas for the guys inside the stadium, half the time when you're at the game, you don't actually really know what's been given. Because you don't actually really get... See, like, the, the whole everybody doesn't... See, the whole everybody doesn't have a screen, you're right. And it, and when you're at the game, and I'm lucky that I'm at most of them, right, that you don't know what's going on, you're guessing what it is. Every every ground now, as far as I'm aware, has got has got these digital advertising boards. Why not put yeah. it on... Why don't they put it on that? Scroll across that... VAR check for yeah. handball. VAR check for excessive, just whatever. Because everybody can see these go all the way around the track saying everybody can see them. So stick it on them. And stick if they've got a screen, stick it on the screen. But I mean, there's only screens. Point, We've man. got one. They've got one. Hearts and Hibs have got them. But everybody's got these digital boards now. Put, put it on the digital. I mean, okay, James Bisgrove would get our sponsor, but that's fine. 
<laughs> that's, that's that way. That way, everybody can see what's going on. Because there's not. I mean, we were standing at that game on. We were at that game on Saturday, going. Well, we're guessing they're checking for offside because we're behind the goal. You can't. You can't tell whether anybody's offside or not. Behind the goal, looking looking on it. I mean, they're obviously checking for offside. And then later, that they were possibly checking for offside. Then after that was ruled okay, they were looking at a handball. We didn't have a clue. Handball, yeah. We did not have a clue what was going on. You know what yeah, I mean? How does yeah. that be good for people? That's people like, no, you go, mate. Sorry. No, but just put, it, put it on the advertising boards. Put it on digital yeah, boards. Yeah, of course. Yeah, like it can be difficult. See if we can you actually know that there's going to be VAR decisions within a game. Have something in place to explain that to people. It's fine for most of the people yeah. at home who are on television. They can see it, right? I mean, that's not a problem. But you could be inside a 50,000 capacity stadium now and see if you don't have the big screens. Then... How does anybody know if it's really going on half the time? Because you don't. Like, you're guessing. You know, like, there could be something in the build-up to that goal. Something could have happened. There could have been a free kick that could have been given in the build-up to the offside. And that's what they're actually looking at. So when you're at the game, you're thinking, well, that's an offside decision. And then all of a sudden, like, the referee's back in the halfway line and he's pointing for a decision that's a foul and somebody's getting sent off the pitch. As an example to that, Willie, my missus was at the, the Edinburgh Derby in the Cup last month. Right? And I was I went down to Edinburgh where I was out walking a dog listening to the game on the radio. And if you if you remember the game, if you saw the game, um Hearts got a penalty when Hibs were attacking because it took that long for the ball to go out of play. And she messaged me and she went, He's checking something. Now the screens at Easter Road. Nobody knew what was going on. I texted her back and said they're checking for a penalty. To hearts because of some whatever it was that had happened. Now the screens at Easter Road, and they didn't even put it on there that it was what the VAR check was for. I mean, there's what there's eighteen thousand folk in that ground didn't have a clue what was going on. I mean, yeah. it's just it, it's as if they don't care about the, about the, the punters that are paying big money to actually go and create the atmosphere in these games. That's crazy. That is, it's yeah, I don't, I don't know if this is something that they you know I don't know if this is in talks to to bring in once fars you know stamped down properly in, in every single league and and it, this is where it's going to go like like William said it doesn't you don't want it to get silly but I I don't think you know no I don't want it to turn into to you know comparing it to rugby or anything like that I don't watch a whole lot of rugby but I do like how clued up the ref sounds when he talks to the guys in you know in the rugby room you know when they're doing this sort of TMO and stuff like that and and you know he's, he asks their opinion he tells them his opinion and then they sort of meet in the middle of what he think. I'm going to give this. Is this acceptable? Am, am I right to give this? Um, and, and on top of that, you know, what the commentators say, the commentators actually get to listen in on, on what's happening. The commentators know it's going to be a penalty or it's not going to be a penalty. Sometimes you'll hear them say, oh, the VAR check, um, we, you know, the VAR check's just gone there. It's not a penalty. And we don't even know the VAR check's gone or it's even happened. The, the commentators are privy to that. So I, I just feel like, I know, I know they don't want to let us in on everything that's being said, but I, Especially when these these uh, decisions are taking four or five minutes to make, why can't they just either let us know what's going on, let us in on the conversation that they're they're having together, and and even if it's you know it, it comes over the tunnel or something of ours being checked for offside, you know it's very close, whatever it is. Um, but yeah, like we'll see. Even even at home, it took a while to for them to convey that yeah. it had gone from offside to a handball check. I, it took ages to say, oh, the offside, it's not offside, but now they're checking for handball. Um, it's mad. Yeah, I was just going to say quickly. I mean, sorry, I was going to answer go on, bring your question. one up. Bring your one up. I brought it up on the phone. that question quickly for that person. Um, I know that was in the newspapers today about the young lad coming in in trial. Um, Rangers are playing two games over the weekend against Newcastle and Manchester United at some of the younger age groups. Um, so I'm hoping to get along to those games. So if I get to see the guy in action, I'll obviously let kind of people know in the in the academy pod, but. I think he's somebody that's been tracked by quite a few teams. Um, the lad Phillips scored, but he is young, so he's not going to be in the first team or anything like that. <laughs> I think he's like 15 or something like that. So, I, uh, people probably shouldn't be getting too excited that he's going to run up for the first team all of a sudden. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I was out of Wales, right? I can't talk to a ref in rugby if you do it. It's a 10 yard penalty. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. to be fair, some of the refs were like that. I sort of saw. Um, I saw a funny sort of thread on Twitter the other day of, of a Wolves fan complaining, bit bit like one of them actually, just complaining about all the decision that, that's gone against Wolves. 
And and one of them was, uh, I think, well, I can't remember what player it was, Lamina? No, something like that, wherever he was. Um, he didn't, you know, he, he didn't get a decision or the foul was given against him. And he sort of jogged towards the ref with his arms out, like completely innocuous, right? Jogged towards, and the ref just issues a second yellow for aggressive running, <laughs> aggressively running at the Wait, ref. That's <laughs> the one that they said that because he was the third player in, the yeah. one that gets booked. So apparently <laughs> two players can talk to the referee, but if a third one gets involved, that is a book, and apparently that's the real book. He was just jogging book. towards him. He didn't even say anything. Yeah, apparently, apparently, it is now in the real book that it's okay for like the captain and one other person to speak to the referee. But mm. as soon as the third person comes over, I think because a couple of years ago when all these players all crowded around the referee, they decided to stop that. So apparently, when the third person enters the area of the referee's kind of wee circle or whatever. That guy can then be booked, and I think Lamela or Lamina, every team is actually get sent off because yeah, he did. Yeah, like, nobody understood, and nobody understood why until after the game when apparently <laughs> it was explained to them that if you're the third person from that one team that gets involved in having well some choice words with the referee, basically that it's a second yellow card, and I'd I'd never. I'd never hear no. that much. Even never if it do. is, I feel like common sense can be used to a degree in in these decisions. Like he's not saying anything. You could, uh, I don't know, maybe. Um, we're trying a big spider. There you go. Sorry, um, it was it wasn't a big spider. Just my dog was doing something to himself that he shouldn't have been doing. I better go and stop him doing it. We'll leave are. that at that. Um, right. I mean, I don't, you know, I don't want to sit here and take too much of the. Uh, like try and try and get into too much. That's sad. I don't want to go too much into old film chat because we, you know we're going to have other podcasts. That obviously the next one on YouTube is Friday, but there will be other podcasts. There's, there's patrons. So if you're not there already, please head over to Patreon. You, you can get. It's not just um, the pods. First off, you can get everything on audio. So if you if you're driving, you want to listen to it. I know if it's a member show on on YouTube, you can't turn the even with YouTube Premium, you can't turn the screen off and still have the sound come through, which is very frustrating. Uh, Patreon, you can do that. There's also article. All the articles are free, so even if you're not signed up, you can go over to Patreon and check out the articles. There's there's more stuff coming all the time to Patreon as well. Hopefully that will get bigger and better for everything. Um, but we'll just end on on one little transfer because I've seen his name mentioned two or three times. So <laughs> I just um, I thought we'll I just get a couple of opinions just on this, and we won't go into loads of people after this. Just this guy, um, and this is mainly because Scott Care talks about him a lot. But Wilf, would you take Oli? I know you probably don't even know much about it, but would you take Oli McBurney? Um, as because we're going to need probably two strikers in the summer, and I believe McBurney is available on a free wage, wage dependent, it would be obviously. I believe he's available on a free. I also believe he's a Red Hot Rangers fan, but that's not enough for me, I'm afraid. He doesn't score enough goals. Um, he played okay, I've said that he played okay for Sheffield United from what I saw in that game yesterday. But yeah. uh, nah, not for me. No, what about you, William? Do you know too much about Oli McBurney and enough to make a decision on, on whether you'd take him? Well, obviously, when I was doing the morning pods, I was kind of doing a lot of the sort of free transfers that were available in the summer. Mm-hmm. And I think we spoke about like obviously the goalkeepers that were available, defenders, midfielders, strikers. And the two that really stood out to me was a lad at Middlesbrough. Chubak Palm. So I think he's out of contract in the summer. And yeah. so was Ollie McBurney. And at that point, the two of them were actually quite close in terms of the goals they'd scored over the season. So obviously, when you're looking at like the value, see, because of the type of season that Akpom's had and where Middlesbrough are in the league, it probably takes him out with our scope yeah. of being able to afford them, right? So when I looked at the transfers and you're thinking about we still need to add some Scottish players to the squad. We need to mm-hmm. add players that understand what our club's all about. So if you lose a Scott Arfield and you bring in a McBurney, it's two guys that both understand the football club and its history and all that that comes with it. So I think that is important. Whether, whether McBurney's somebody that's going to come in and start every single game, that's the debate for me. I think it's fine. See if we were to lose Morelos and say Roof was to be moved on in the summer. You would need another two strikers, so you bring in somebody that's the first choice, and then McBurney's a squad player. But it obviously is dependent on his wages. If he wants to come to Scotland, not everybody will want to come to Scotland, you get that. But it's interesting that he's one of the ones, along with the guy, Jake Cooper, who keeps kind of 
cropping yeah. up all the time. And yet again, four years now. <laughs> yeah, look, is he well a people like it or not? We will continue to utilize the Bosman market because it's a market mm-hmm. that you can get some good value from. Do you know? And I think the guy Jake Cooper. Cooper's an interesting one. I think he's like six five, six six. Yeah, he's massive. Yeah, and I think we, I think we could do with that type of player, you know, because he's a big threat from set plays. Clearly, he's a dominant player, so there's not going to be that many guys that are going to win that many aerial battles with him. He's obviously played in the championship for a long part of his career. So we looked at all of these guys in all the different morning pods, and for me, on McBurney, it would only be if he was a squad player. I yeah. don't believe that he would come up here and be our number one striker. Um, all his career's been quite an interesting one. He obviously had a really good spell at Swansea, I think it was. Yeah, he did. Yeah, and, you're right. Yeah, and that's what got him his, well, his big money move at the time, obviously. I don't think his goal return's ever been great. He certainly does a lot of hard work. He probably does a lot of the work Morelos does in games, to be honest, in terms of, you know, like sort of working the back four, making the runs. You know, I think he's got quite a decent amount of assists. But I'm not so sure he's the sort of guy that a lot of our support would want to see us signing. Um, but that's just obviously my opinion. Some of the guys on Twitter now have got some unbelievable, like, sort of stats. And yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm not a huge fan of that stuff generally, and I've said that in a million podcasts. But um, it's interesting now, you know, there's guys in Serbia doing well, Slovenia, Slovakia. You know, you've got guys scoring goals all over Europe. So you need to open your horizons to different, different leagues. And I think there is value out there. You know, the fact we got Alfredo for a million and look at the return we've had from Alfredo. Um, so, yeah, we can definitely go looking for for other options. I think it's still a bit early for guys like Zach Lovelace. I don't think we should be expecting like Zach to all of a sudden jump into the first team and become, you know, a star at that level. Um, so it's interesting. But McBurnley, for me, it would only be as a squad player. I don't think he would be our number one choice. I would love to see Akbom because for what I've seen him have this season at Middlesbrough he looks a right good footballer but I just think unfortunately the way that things are going for Middlesbrough they're more likely to get promoted and at that point you know, there's, a, there's absolutely no chance that we're getting anywhere near him at that stage if they get promoted No, no. well I mean Akbom obviously started at Arsenal, he was, he's always been very very highly rated I think I think regardless of what happens to Middlesbrough this season, Akpon will be in the Premiership next season. I'm, I'm yeah. pretty confident that, that someone yeah. will take a risk on him. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but Bernie's an interesting one. I would say I think I think you're right. I think he I think he'd be a fantastic squad player. I know that's yeah. you know I don't want to talk that arrogance there because he's on a lot of money at Sheffield United. So I don't think he could ever come in and be a squad player for, for the money he's on. But he, he is a really good player, and I think he could contribute. Just yeah, like like you say, he's. Um, I don't think it would ever be as, as a permanent number nine. Someone's just saying that problem right now. He's, he joined Middlesbrough permanently. I think he actually went up to Greece. I think he went to Palkisonica for a little bit. And yeah, then... I think he's moved about a wee bit in his career. Yeah, and then he I think joined he was quite from... highly yeah. sought afterwards. You know, at Arsenal when he was young, and that's yeah, where he's the most yeah. I think, you know what, like the Bosman market's an interesting one because there's a lot of guys there who we've been linked with before who are now available this summer. And... Or some of the guys we were linked with, we were linked under Stephen Gerrard with Michael Beale yeah. here. So I think that's why guys like, like obviously Josh Major was been linked again because he's obviously out of contract at Bordeaux. Bordeaux yeah. Obviously, Jake Cooper was obviously linked with the Rangers, I think, at the time when we signed Connor Goldson, I think it was. Um, so like, the links have never really disappeared, if you know, and it's easy to kind of keep kind of throwing that in there every so often. But look, see if there's value out there in the club think, Okay, we can pay them 20 or 25 grand a week because we're not having to pay a transfer fee, then that's fine. But they still have to contribute. And I think this is the argument a lot of people have had recently is for the wages we are paying some players, we're not actually getting anything back from it. Yeah. So this summer's recruitment has to be very good. That's I think that's the one thing we can all agree on. This summer's recruitment has to be maybe as good as been we've had in the last 20 plus years. Because yeah. if you look at what Celtic have done this year. Next year, you realistically need to win 30 league games at a bare minimum, which is a huge ask over a 38-game league season. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So um, I think we'll leave it there because I, I knew it would happen. As soon as I mentioned one, I, I knew loads of the, uh, the transfers would come in. The only thing I will, I will stick up for Paul in the chat, who, who mentioned Josh Madger. Josh Madger's a fantastic player. Um, 
you got you got to remember he's he's literally just turned 24. He's already taken a big risk by going to France and playing in a foreign league. But he's doing pretty well this season over there. I think overall he's I think he averages like one in three in his entire career. And you got to remember a lot of his career he hasn't started games. He's come off the bench a lot, so it's a pretty good record overall. And he's only going to get better the um, the older he gets for a free transfer. I think we could do a lot worse than than Josh Madger, but we'll leave it there because I'm sure. We will talk transfers and everything else in between over the international break because um, unless something big happens, we're not going to have nothing else to talk about. Um, but if you haven't got Patreon, please head over to Patreon because there will be some um, shows. And there's there's also pre-recorded shows we've got up on Patreon as well. So um, stuff that can get you through your week. I know it's always like you, you hit that sort of midweek bump and, and especially during the international break, there's not as many pods out. So you usually get a sort of pre-recorded show on there, which is always good to listen to. Um, you can see all the memberships um, and the prices. There is also a YouTube video I mentioned earlier, Martin put up. That just has all the final questions about Patreon, if, you, if you've got any. Um, but there's still free content over there. So at least go check it out. It's, it's worth checking out at the very, very least. Um, but the next show on YouTube will be Friday the 30, 31st of March. Yes, sure. 31st of March. Um, and I believe Martin, maybe not that Friday, but I know he's, he's working very hard in the background to get the phone in back up and working so we can have that very soon. Um, so everyone can call back in. But until then, uh, just I've got to say thanks to Wilf for joining me. Thank you, Wilf. Well, Stu, thanks for having me along. It's always a pleasure. Thank you, as always, Willie. Always good to speak to you. Cheers, guys. Thanks very much. And thanks to everyone in the chat, as always. They always make these um, these pods go. I mean, the, I can't even believe it. I feel like I've just started it and it's, it's already gone. So... Um, always enjoy the interactions and everything you put in the chat because it's just brilliant to read through. Even you know when Wilf and William are taking the the, the show by the horns and, and you know talking and putting all the the uh, the you know the valid points in, and I'm just sitting here looking for all your comments. It's, it's great fun, so I really enjoy that. So thank you very much. Um, but until next time, please go check out Patreon, and if not, we will see you in a couple of weeks on YouTube, but very soon on Patreon. Thanks very much, guys. Podcast Network. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers.